Um, great. Well, um, this morning, I want to start with a well-known story to many of us of somebody who made a massive difference. Naaman, a name we're familiar with. Naaman, a valiant warrior, commander of the army of Aram and highly respected by, uh, by his master, the king of Aram. A man of power, strength, a man of influence. The kind of person you would imagine is going to make a difference, right? Not in my talk today. That's not the person I am going to be talking about. In verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 5, we learn about a young girl who isn't even named. And she's taken captive from Israel. And she is taken uh, to be a part of Naaman's house. And it's she's the one who made a difference. The unnamed girl. The girl who makes a simple suggestion to her master's wife. Uh, and she simply says to him, if only my master went to see the prophet. If only he went to Elijah. And her little suggestion is what makes the chain reaction that leads to Naaman's healing, leads to Naaman exclusively devoting his worship to God, and then sending him back to some of the most powerful people in Aram with a proof that there is one God who has got power and life. This one little suggestion of a girl whose name we don't even know, and yet she changed a culture. This morning... I'm going to be speaking on the next part of the Fruitfulness on the Frontline series on molding culture or moldy culture, as the kids have been saying. We're going to be talking about cheeses. Blessed are the cheesemakers for those of you who enjoy Monty Python. Um, but we're going to be thinking about how we can do things that try to bring out the best of where we are. Okay? Very much fitting in with the theme of what's been talked about thus far. On our front lines, those spaces and places where we're interacting with people who don't know Jesus. But I suppose the first question is, well, then what is culture? Um, the Archbishop Derek Worley is, uh, not Worley, yeah, Warlock, is well known for saying that culture is the way things are done around here. We have cultures, handshakes, whether or not we sit with our elbows on or off the table, wedding rings, whether or not we give one kiss, Two kisses, or if you're Dutch, you go for three. And if you're Dutch this morning, do um, come and say hello. <laughs> but with the things we do, whether spoken or unspoken, there are cultures, ways of doing things, whether there's families, whether it's at the school gates, whether it's in a church community, whether we're at work or in our business, whether it's amongst our families, we have ways of doing things that are unique to that particular group of people. Even WhatsApp groups will have a kind of a culture. The things that we think matter in those places. And they're unique to the blends of people that are there. And they're ways of expressing our values, the things that we think matter. You know, culture clashes between people are rarely just about the fact they do things differently. It's usually because underneath that, there's some kind of thing that somebody thinks is important that they think is at risk of being questioned or even threatened. And actually, if you ever come into a clash with somebody over differences of ways of doing things, try finding out what's underneath it, because you'll often find there's something positive that somebody wants to protect. Not always positive, but there's usually something of value underneath. 
Takahiro Seki uh, was a student who came from Japan to stay with our family. We had a number of students come through the Lewis School of English to stay with us. And he was there to learn the language, and he was soon to learn the culture, whether or not he liked it or not. He needed access to the house, and so we gave him a key. The one we had was a back door key. But Takahiro didn't speak to us for days. Silent treatment on another level. Uh, it turns out he was deeply offended because in his culture, only the servants come in through the back door. So to have given him a back door key was an affront to his social standing and a disrespect to who he was as a person. Ouch. Culture clash. Again, because there was something underneath that of value to him. And we, we sorted it out. But it required some understanding and adapting because our cultures are the way we do things that express the things that matter to us. When we live amongst different people, we're going to find there's differences of ways of doing things and different values all the time. You only have to open your front door to know that's true. Or if you live with other people, you only have to open your eyes in the morning to know that's true. Or if you open the Bible, you'll find there's a whole library of cultures, different ways of doing things that we have to learn to adapt to in order to make sense of them. Whether or not it's Abraham living among the pagan tribes of Canaan, Daniel under the unstable dictatorship of Nebuchadnezzar, Esther in the corrupt and inwardly oriented court of Artaxerxes, Jesus in Rome and occupied Palestine and Israel, Paul in intellectual Athens, and so on. There's loads of different cultures. And we all have to walk into these concoctions of cultures all the time. And it's not always clear what we should do and how we should respond. It can be tricky. Our front lines are exactly like that. We may need understanding. We may need better ways of doing things. Or maybe we need better values of the things we actually think matter. And maybe we need to be the ones to help mould that at times. To shape that and to shift that. I suppose... I want you to know this morning, though, you're already doing that to some extent by either our actions or by our inaction, by the things we just let happen or by the things that we, we step into shape happen, by the things we bring to the party. We have some kind of capacity and some kind of influence already, and it's learning how we shape that and bring that and sometimes stand up with that not be too passive and therefore not stand up for what really matters, but also not be too pushy and not value other people in that place, but find something more positive in the middle. And so I wonder for you on your front line, what's the culture like? What do people do? And what does that suggest matters in the world? And do you think there's anything that could be done a little bit differently to make it even better? I think ultimately a lot of moulding co- <laughs> molding culture comes down to us being confident about what we think really matters and being sure that these things and the way we do things, like my beautiful pink bottle this morning, I couldn't find mine, um, but the things we do, really, that they really matter. We've got to believe that strongly, don't we? Otherwise we'll be tossed and, and, and turned around. Jesus said, didn't he, common words that we know about often, but two values have stood out and towered above the rest through all of these different cultures where God's people have been. The love of God and the love of others. To honour God and put him first and to do the best for others that we would like done for ourselves. That's the test of all cultures. 
when we look around our front lines, they should be the things we're looking for, saying, God, does this culture honor you? And is it actually living in a way which is loving others the best that people would like to be treated themselves? It's a high bar. We all know to some extent that we all fail the test. But governments that spread lies to their own people in order to inflict violence on others fail the test. Police forces that continue to foster racism and misogyny fail the test. Businesses that are run with money-making as the primary goal and don't take enough interest in their ethical impact fail the test. Families whose houses are Pinterest-worthy but never host with warmth and generosity those who could never return the favour fail the test. And what of our front lines? What do we spot when we use that as our measure of ways and way of looking at things? Do people collaborate or compete? Do they moan or make positive plans? Do they bear grudges or seek to forgive? Pick a fight, seek engagement, listen or ignore, belittle or build up, nitpick or be gracious, take or share, make excuses or take responsibility, spoon feed or grow maturity. Are they stingy, generous, supportive, cynical, self-seeking, serving or helpful and harmful? There's loads there. But I wonder what one thing for you, you spot in your culture of where you are and think, that thing. God, it's got to change. Because Jeremiah 27 encouraged us, or encouraged the Israelites, sent them into exile not to hate their captives, but to pray and to seek the peace and prosperity of the city they've been carried. Seeking, what can that mean apart from doing active things to make that peace and prosperity a reality? As far as it depended on them. So I've got five encouragements um, I want to give this morning about things that we can do that might help mold the culture where we are. We can pray and trust God, of course. That's one of the key things. Um, but what is it we can do within our power that can help through the power of the Spirit to change and mold the culture? We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about resisting. Talk about praising. We're talking about redirecting. And we're going to talk about standing in the way. So Praying. Jeremiah carried on in verse 7, encouraging them to pray for the peace and prosperity of their captors. Of course, we should pray. We're a church. We've been saying this. Uh, there's nothing new. Um, but do we do it enough and faith-filled enough to see things change? It'd be a bit odd, wouldn't it, to know a qualified car mechanic who was willing to come and fix your car and not ask them to come and do that. And so we should ask the one who can bring the full blessing and the full shalom of God to all people. And so what are you praying for on your front line at the moment? Resisting. I wonder to what extent the culture that you're in, if you are helping mould it or if it is more moulding us. Big question. The Apostle Paul warned us, didn't he, that the power of culture around us can have an effect on forcing us into its mould. Forcing us into doing something we don't want to do. Like a, child, like a parent to a child, he says, look, don't. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't get sucked in. Don't give up on God's best and live for the world's less. It's just not worth it. There are times when we've got to resist the ungodly culture around us because it can be poisonous. We've got to not lose our saltiness and our light. 
If we're going to be disciples, we've got to be disciples everywhere, full of the love of God and the love for other people, and let nothing put us off. As Catherine emphasized a few weeks ago, godly character really matters, and our capacity to influence actually has, to a large extent, uh, stands upon the quality of our character. Of course, God is the powerful one, and it's through him that we're doing all these things, but nothing is going to happen to the darkness if it stays under the basket. We've got to live in a way that means we can resist, and at times that can have a powerful influence on our cultures. It's a simple example, but I remember being at Flora's house when we had a youth barbecue years ago, um, a few years ago, and uh, some of the people there started getting excited about telling ghost stories. And Flora was clearly not happy. Uh, and in that moment, she had the guts to say, um, can, we, um, can we not? please. Like, I don't think that my parents are going to appreciate it. I, I really don't want that to be what we're doing here. Um, and that changed the course of the conversation. People said, okay, all right, fair point. Uh, and that was actually something that then changed the, the culture. A simple story, but one I'm still telling today of some of the simple things where resisting can mold the culture. Praising. Secondly, what can we do to praise something on our front line? Paul said, don't conform to the pattern of the world. But he didn't mean that the world's got nothing good in it and that non-believers don't have uh, goodness about their lives. There's stuff to praise. We all know that's true. And so maybe molding culture for you might mean praising and celebrating something, encouraging various aspects of your front line, strengthening the focus on what really matters. Especially when it might become negative or prickly or bitter. Actually, what life can we pump into it? Could you go out of your way to uh, praise somebody else on their promotion? What about praising somebody for their parenting style and something you love about that? What about telling stories about other friends who've done something that you thought was really admirable? What about arranging an unsung heroes thing at your workplace to praise those people's jobs who easily get overlooked? What about writing thank you cards consistently to your supermarket team to say thank you for their warm welcome when you're there? What positive praise could we share that changes the culture? Redirecting. Could we do something slightly differently that then might redirect the culture? Sometimes we've got to help divert people's attention from A to B. We've got to do something or say something that shifts the conversation. Sarah often talks about changing culture within the school and going into to the staff room and changing the conversation by focusing on certain things, by bringing up certain conversations. It, it, it starts to breed something by doing that. And sometimes that might be to do something new. I wonder how we could warmly put something more positive on the map, on our front lines, that gives an opportunity for things to change. We're going to interview uh, Carolyn Chart this morning um, because she's done a few things and been involved in a few things on her front line where something's redirected the culture somewhere more positive. Um, so, Carolyn, if you want to come and join us. Good morning. Morning. Thank you for coming up and sharing this with us. Um, so tell us a little bit about your front line um, and what it was that you saw that needed improving. 
Okay, so I am fairly newly retired, so I have several different front lines at the moment. Um, I do a lot of volunteering for different charities and organisations. I look after my grandchildren a couple of days a week. But the thing I want to talk to you this morning about is about um, my neighbours, where I live in Highfield, and uh, something that we started doing quite a long time ago, actually. So about eight years ago, the church um, decided to give each Connect group some money to bless their community in some way. And it was up to us to find a way. Um, so our Connect group prayed about it and had a think about our community and where we lived in Highfield. And it was really a choice between the students and the elderly. <laughs> and we decided that the neglected group was the elderly where we lived. And so we had a think about it. And we discovered that a couple of doors down from my house, there was a warden-assisted flats. So we decided that that was the group that we would like to reach out to. They, um, they were a group that we wanted to honor, that the Bible said we should um, treat with respect and that their declining years actually should be good years, not lonely and tiresome years of being forgotten and just squirreled away somewhere and left to die, at, you know, die a, a lonely time. So um, that was what we decided to do. That's excellent. You can see, can't you, the value of honouring the elderly and then what you did with that. So what, what did you do and kind of what impact did that okay. have? Okay, so um, a couple of us went to this warden-assisted flats coffee morning a couple of times, just, just asked the warden if we could go along and meet some people, um, which we, we did and got to know the people there. And we, we just said, would it be okay if we invited the people here around to my house for tea and cake one Saturday afternoon? Um, so we put a poster up in the foyer, and, and that was all we did, really. And we were amazed that about a dozen of them came hobbling up the road. <laughs> um, some of them even drove, even though it's four doors down, because they couldn't get that far. Um, and, and they were just blown away, because some of them never got invited out. Some of them um, hadn't been out to anybody else's house for quite some time. And they had family, but the family lived quite a long way away. And although they did come and visit, not that often. Um, and it was such an easy thing to do to make a real difference in their lives. Um, so we, we, did, we did a couple with the Connect group. And eight years later, the Connect group's gone and, and finished. But Nico and I are still inviting our elderly neighbours around occasionally, less, less so in COVID times. The last time we did it was last November, and we had 30 came. Um, and we had to open the windows, spread people out. We were worried they were all going to catch COVID, but um, <laughs> we got away with it. And, and it was wonderful, actually, to see so many people um, needing um, that care and, and love. It's a really special thing. I would love to have somebody standing on the stage from that community to be able to interview them to say what impact has that had for you because I'm sure that we would hear for you a simple thing yes but for others something really meaningful um, and really heartfelt um, who else could do something like that and what do you think they would need to make that happen 
I think anyone, or probably much anyone, could do something like that. I think you need to know what your strengths are. I mean, I love baking. Nico and I love hosting people in our home, so it felt like a really natural thing for us to do. Um, when our Connect group ceased to exist, we thought, well, we can't really do this on our own very easily. So we asked a Christian couple. So asking for help might, might be a good thing to do. A Christian couple lived opposite us and said, we've been doing this for a while. Would you fancy doing it with us instead of our Connect group? And they were well up for it. She loves baking and they love hosting as well. So, so we just asked for help. And um, several others of the neighbors who've got involved always say well I'll bring a cake you know now everybody's kind of getting involved so yeah it spreads yeah it does yeah yeah so the the title molding culture might sound a bit grandiose but this yes. is this is what we're talking about this way of 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 using our power and our resources Annabelle said last week to to begin to shift something of the way people are treated um where we are I think the the, the I've read the book, um, or I'm reading the book Fruitfulness on the front line, and I think the thing it does bring out is actually encourages us to realize that the little things we do are actually making a difference. And if we are molding culture um, through what we're doing, it's just creating an atmosphere of honoring the elderly and mm. caring for those in their later years. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Can we just give a round of applause of encouragement? Thank you. Thank you. so simple isn't it spotting something in a culture you think you know what we could do something with that and then thinking what's a kingdom like solution and let's throw a bit of effort a bit of money a bit of time to make that kind of thing work um, and to change the culture of how the elderly are treated carolyn's got more stories uh you know of, of of her front line please ask her about what they did with the students um, or what they've been a part of um, because there's even more but those little things can be the nudges to begin to shift the culture the last one I wanted to bring up was about standing in the way there might be times when you need to address something bigger or you, you certainly feel is a bit of a bigger issue so one quick example a few years ago at Wilden um, they organized a, a pride day to celebrate everything LGBTQ plus and in line with the charity Stonewall. Um, the day was all set up uh, with everybody going in non-school uniform, and all of the money that was being raised was going to Stonewall. Now, there were a few staff that had some legitimate questions and reluctances about the approach towards the day. What if a family, or a student, or a staff member didn't really want to either support Stonewall or had even questions and queries about some of the LGBTQ plus agenda, and they, they didn't want to give the money to this or weren't feeling comfortable about coming in on uniform, how would all that work? It felt like it was being quite forced on from above. All teachers had to pledge what we would do in a classroom uh, and in our lessons that would champion all of LGBTQ plus as a broad brush stroke, which which didn't feel uh, necessarily what allowed people any kind of freedom to be able to respond. Um, that made it really quite tricky. Some even raised questions about how age appropriate it was. Um, and a few of us talked and raised some of these thoughts and, and I thought, well, somebody's got to do something. So I decided to send the email. 
Now, my email was full of positivity, where it was due, because I think it's important. But I also raised some reluctances, some questions, and I even raised some objections in places to the whole approach. And I waited nervously for the reply, because I wasn't sure. You feel like you're pushing yourself out there a bit to say, well, hang on. And to my surprise, the response was overtly positive. They understood, they got what value I was trying to put across. They understood the pressure that it was unnecessarily putting on certain types of people and said, we're going to adapt the day. And they shifted what they did. They didn't change the day, but they, they shifted the way it was done. And that made a massive difference. Just did an image that Mike Martin brought up in, a, in our Bitten Park community recently. Sometimes we need to be the lollipop people. You've got to step out into the road and say, uh, st stop, or hang on, wait, wait, are you, are you sure? Uh, you know, and that's in into the oncoming traffic, which may feel nervous, but sometimes we have to be willing to do that. It's not about just being negative and critical. Praise what needs to be praised. Offer positive, proactive solutions to go with that, rather than just, like, well, I don't like your day, and you can stick it, and I'm cross about this, or come up with some positive solutions. Be a blessing that offers the warm hand of working together alongside those uh, critiques. It's not about imposing our ideas and opinions on people, but about inviting others to join a better story uh, and to shaping that together because cultures are shared. They're not one person things. And so who can we get on board to help us to shape those cultures? So just a few final thoughts. Molding culture is not about being big and brash, the Naaman. It's not about bullying other people, of course. But lovingly, insensitively, and bravely helping the culture of our front line move towards something more positive that honors God, yes, please, and loves others wholeheartedly. Because that's where the blessing of God's full shalom is. That's where people will become most alive in God and with one another. It's a treasure to lay hold of. And we've got to hold on to it strongly. We might be unlikely to change the culture overnight. It may take eight years or more. But even the small things we do, like the girl in 2 Kings 5, may be the suggestions or the questions that actually are the seeds of change that could change the whole culture. So I wonder about your front line, where you meet people that don't know Jesus. What does it need from you? To resist? To pray more? To praise and encourage? To stand in the way? Or to redirect things a little bit in a more positive direction? Um, we need to take those small steps to see God's peace and prosperity on our front lines for the glory of God and for the blessing of the world. Um, so we're just going to take a moment to pray this morning. Um, we'd like you to pray today together. I think it'd be great for us to take a moment to, to turn to those we're with or the people that we are sitting next to and just say, what can I pray for you on your front line? 
What's something you need to change? You think, oh, this is not good. And pray for some solutions. Pray for some ideas. Pray for some courage, whatever it is you think you need, um, in order to shift that culture towards something more, more positive. Um, and let's go out this week and, and make some of that happen. Let's try it. Hopefully next Sunday we can have some stories where we can say, hey, this week I tried this. It's terrible. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> um, or something more positive. So let's take a few moments. If you want to turn around, find somebody, include others who may not be involved with another group, um, and let's just take a few minutes to pray for and with one another.